0: I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me first off to Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1. We're going to jump around a little bit this morning, but we're going to start in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3-6. through 6. Uh, We're going to take a short break from our study in the Gospel of Matthew and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount today to stop and c- celebrate a significant milestone, what Lita just mentioned, because I have to congratulate you this morning. Because as of this coming Wednesday... You have now put up with me as your pastor for 20 whole years. 20 years together. Sunday, June 14th, 1998, was my first official start date as the pastor of Lance Evangelical Free Church. And it was the first Sunday that I preached from this pulpit as your pastor. I had preached a candidating sermon on Habakkuk 3 in April of 1998. And we had already worshiped with you on the previous Sunday, June 7th, 1998, after we moved into our little house in Bigler. But June 14th, 1998 was my first official Sunday preaching as your pastor. Raise your hand if you think you were here on that Sunday. Praise God. Thank you for being here for 20 years with me. This is the worship bulletin from that Sunday. I don't keep every bulletin, but I did from that Sunday. I kept a couple copies. The order of worship for that Sunday says that we had the welcome it says, please be sure to sign the friendship register. Do you guys remember friendship registers here? Then the, we had the opportunities for ministry, which was our, our name that we called the Church Family News, what we, we now call the Church Family News. And then we sang hymn 31, Great is the Lord. And then we sang a chorus called Our God is an Awesome God. And the words to it are printed here in the bulletin because we didn't have uh, this sort of thing up here on the, on the wall with those words. Then we sang Hymn 74, which is Majesty. And then we had an offered, offertory uh, sung by a choir, which I think was led that Sunday by Blair Murray. And then we sang Amazing Grace, Hymn 202 in your hymnal. We dismissed the kids, just like we just did, to Children's Church and Nursery, which Nesta Kephart was in the, in the Children's Church and Donna Weatherly was in the Nursery. And then I got up to preach from Isaiah chapter 40, a message entitled, Incomparably Awesome God. Then we had communion together, and Blair Murray led us in, blessed be the tie that binds, and closed the service in prayer. And we were off and running. 20 years ago this week, we began our ministry together. So this isn't just my work anniversary. You know, you ever get those... Uh, LinkedIn invites, and then somebody sends you a note saying, congratulations on your work anniversary. Well, this isn't just my work anniversary. This is our anniversary together of partnering in the gospel, church and pastor together. Congratulations. And thank you. Thank you not just for putting up with me, not just enduring me, but for loving me and caring for me and supporting me and paying me, and appreciating me, and listening to me, and interrupting me as I get started to say, we love you, thank you, and for praying for me, and for forgiving me, and for caring for my family. It's been a wonderful score of years together, and I'm very grateful to the Lord for our partnership. I feel like the Apostle Paul did about the Philippian church. See what it says here in this letter, in his letter to them, Philippians chapter 1. Look at verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for two decades of partnership between this pastor and this congregation. I'm a blessed man to have lived that long, to have had such a good relationship with the church family, to have weathered storms together, to have been relating to one another for these two decades. That's a lot of territory covered. And I'm grateful. Thank you, Lord, for our partnership in the gospel. And thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. Help me to do it faithfully. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So that's how I feel about you. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. I thank my God every time I remember you, Lance Free Church. In all my prayers for all of you, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day, June 14th, 1998, until now, June 10th, 2018. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That word partnership in verse 5 is the Greek word koinonia. Have you ever heard that word before, koinonia? Koinonia was the winning word in the national spelling bee this year. The Scripps National Spelling Bee. A young fella named Karthik Namani, I can't spell his name, won the national spelling bee by spelling koinonia. Now, I could have done that. I could have spelled koinonia. I probably couldn't have done most of the ones leading up to it, but that's one that I know because it's here in Philippians 1. Koinonia is the word that we often translate. What do we, how do we normally translate it? Fellowship, right? Fellowship, because it means to have something in common. Joining people together by having something in common. So partnership is also a good word for it. What is it that Paul had in common with the Philippians? What does he say? In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership what? In the gospel from the first day until now. They had the gospel in common. And so do we. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what binds us together from the first day until now. Sometimes we have almost nothing else in common, right? You're different from me, I'm different from you. But we have the gospel in common. It's our main thing, right? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our koinonia. And it brings me great joy. It's a joy to be your pastor. I was trying to think of what specifically to talk about this Sunday to mark our double decade anniversary together. Ten years ago, when we had finished our first decade together, I preached a three-week series called The Ten Things. Anybody remember that? Remember the Ten Things sermons? A few of you do. Uh, I think that was the Kavalik's first Sunday with us. One of those ten, ten Things Sundays. So it's been ten years that we've been in partnership together. The three messages in that series were ten things I've learned in the first ten years, ten things I've been teaching in the first ten years, and 10 things I'm hoping for in the next 10 years. I reread those messages this week, and they filled my heart with all kinds of feelings, all the feels, as they say. Especially that first one, because it looks back over the first decade on how the Lord brought us here and how I started to learn to be a pastor and how then He knit our hearts together. And then that last one was what I was hoping would happen in these last 10 years. I started by talking about June of 2018. And how Robin's going to be 18 in just a month. And kind of, I couldn't, 10 years ago, I could not at all foresee what this Sunday was like. Trying to look back now and evaluate to see if the things I was desiring for our church 10 years ago have come true. To some degree they did. Some did, some didn't. I was encouraged. We've definitely made some progress. A lot sure has changed since the 10 Things series, the last decade. We still didn't have this video projector. Ten years ago, I put my notes up on an overhead transparency. We had an overhead projector. Remember the old overhead projector? I'd slap up the notes. Flies would come and land on it, and everybody would laugh because, look, there's a fly. Matt can't see it. And I would hit it because our arms are going this way, and I'd I'd hit the projector while I was preaching. We hadn't hadn't started the Good News Cruise yet. Hadn't done one of those ten years ago. We hadn't sent short-term teams to Serbia, Oaxaca, Pittsburgh, Louisiana. We didn't have MOPs. The C's were still living in Mexico. We had the old pulpit. Remember the big battleship that we had up here? We didn't have a family bathroom. The upstairs was a big junk drawer in the sky. The library didn't look like it does. Amy Joe hadn't restarted the choir. 10 years ago, I had not yet taken my first doctoral class, much less dreamed of writing a book on resisting gossip. And there was almost nobody on social media. I mean, the the college kids, they had it. They had Facebook, right? But almost nobody else had Facebook 10 years ago. We didn't know that Robin had celiac disease. We didn't know that Heather had fibromyalgia. We didn't know that I would have major surgery for diverticulitis and a perforated colon. And we've lost a lot of people that we love in the last 10 years. When I posted the 10 Things message on my blog... There was a comment on my blog by a sweet lady named Linda Lundeen. She said, Thank you, Matthew. I have been blessed. Your favorite mother-in-law. I've done around 50 funerals since then. And hers was one of them. 20 years together. What do you talk about to sum up 20 years? I joked in the third 10 Things message that in June of 2018, I would probably preach a 20-point sermon this morning. You ready for a 20-pointer? Maybe I've learned a few things (laughs) in the last 10 years, but I don't think that's very wise. Instead, I just have a simple three-point message for you. It's about what this partnership looks like on a day-in, day-out, weekly basis. Have you ever wondered what a pastor does? Like, what is my job description? I have friends that tell me that I have a great job because I only work one day a week. And I say, yeah, and that's just for the morning. I get the rest of Sundays off. Well, I think most people know that's not true. But what does a pastor do? I almost titled this message with a nod to Richard Scarry, What Do Pastors Do All Day? Well, 20 years ago, when I was candidating as your pastor, I taught a Sunday school on that very topic. It was right back there, in that, about where Myra's sitting, right there. I was standing there, and the, the class was sitting behind there in the back corner. And I taught a Sunday school class on what does a pastor do? And I had three points from three different scripture verses that together sum up my basic philosophy of pastoral ministry. And those three points I see as like my job description. They're really the job description of any elder in the local church. But especially that of a vocational elder in the local church. What we, what we in our culture call The pastor. And every month I put those three things, three commands from Scripture, across the top of my monthly report that I give to the other elders. I think I've turned in about 240 monthly reports with these three things across the top of each one. And then every year when I do my annual report, I organize it around these three points. And I've done 20 of those annual reports. I did a half one to to look back on nineteen ninety-eight and then we did this one this last one to look back on twenty seventeen. All of those have been organized around these three items. This is these are my calendars that I've kept from the last 20 years. So these are all of the appointments that I've made, all the visits that I've done, all the you know how I organized my time. And I try to organize my time around these three priorities. This is what I perceive to be my job. I probably do a bunch of other things too, but these three are the core of all that I do as pastor. And for each one of them, there's a corresponding response from the flock, from you. So this is a description of our partnership over the last 20 years of pastor and flock together. You ready? Here's number one. I hope these are not a surprise. Okay. Preach the word. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Pew Bible page number 1180, 2 Timothy chapter 4. We just looked at this passage back in February when Billy Graham graduated to glory. Paul is writing to Timothy who was serving as a kind of pastor in Ephesus. Paul was pretty sure that he himself was about to die, so he left Timothy these instructions. Second Timothy chapter 4, you got it? Verse 1. That's what I consider to be the first item on my job description. To be the chief theological officer of the church. To preach the word. I'm not supposed to preach anything else. I'm not supposed to preach my opinions. I'm not supposed to go off on what I think. I'm supposed to read, explain, and press home this book right here. The word of God. When I feel like it, and when I don't. Most Sundays I feel like it. Sometimes I don't. I'm supposed to do it anyway. When it's convenient and when it's not convenient. Paul says in season and out of season. He says I'm supposed to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. I hope I've done that for 20 years. Have you been corrected by my preaching? I hope so. One of you this morning said to me, this was so encouraging, that sermon you preached last Sunday, that one was for me. Thank you. Thanks for saying that. Have you been rebuked by my preaching? I hope so. That's my job. Have you been encouraged? I sure hope so. Because that's my job. I'm supposed to preach the Word. I grew up in a church where there was somebody who got up on a Sunday morning and he said nice things. But he didn't necessarily preach the Word. A church was high on love, but fairly low on truth. And it wasn't until I went to Moody Bible Institute that I found out. I've been trying to preach the gospel because that's the main thing. And I've been trying to preach the whole counsel of God, not just the parts that I like best. That's why we've gone over all kinds of places in your Bible over the last 20 years. In 20 years, I've preached every single verse of Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, Hosea, Jonah, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, twice. We did Philippians. That was the first book that we opened up together. I think it's fitting that we opened it this morning. I did it a second time 10 years later, almost 10 years later. Colossians, First Timothy, Titus, James, First Peter, First John, and lots of Psalms and Proverbs along the way. And if the Lord gives me days, I hope to preach all the parts that I haven't preached yet. Starting with finishing the Gospel of Matthew. Isn't it interesting, we made 20 years and we never preached all the way through Matthew. That's my job. It's my duty. It's my very high privilege to preach the Word of God and to train men to preach it too. Because this book is like no other book. This book is God-breathed. It is inspired. That's what Paul told. He just told Timothy that in chapter 3. Right before he says, preach the Word, he says, all Scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. My job is to give you this book. What's your job? In relation to that, it's to receive the Word. Turn with me, if you will, to James chapter 1, verse 21. That's a couple pages over. It's on Pew Bible page 1196. If the pastors of the church are supposed to preach the Word, what does the church do? Look at verse 21. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Receive the Word. Accept it. And then do it. That's what you've been doing for the last 20 years. You are a fantastic congregation for reading and heeding the Word of God. I know that you haven't just endured my preaching for 20 years, and some of it was pretty... Hard to endure, I'm sure. I've had to learn this craft. You've been doing more than that. You've been taking it in and letting the Word grow. And not just looking in the mirror and then walking away, but making the changes the mirror tells you you need to make. When we come together on Sunday and we open the Word, it's supposed to be a feast. I've worked during the week to prepare the meal like a chef. And we all sit down and we ingest it together and let it go to work on our insides. Now, of course, it doesn't have to be me. You all can preach the Word too. We're all supposed to share it with others in the right, the appropriate contexts. And we all need to learn to feed on it ourselves. But I have a special calling to preach the Word right here in this gathering. Increasingly, the world will not like this. We've seen that over two decades. The world likes preaching much less than it did 20 years ago. Paul said that a time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. An echo chamber. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But I'm not allowed to do that. I'm not allowed to just turn aside to whatever I want to believe. And you're going to make sure of that, right? You will be noble Bereans who ask the question, Where stands it written? And you will hold me accountable to doing my job. So I'm preaching the word, and you're saying, Yep, that's right. Nope, that's not there. Matt, we need to talk about that. That's why one of the most beautiful sounds in the world to me is the sound of pages turning on Sunday mornings. When I say, Pew Bible page no number whatever we get that flipping sound. There's much less of it now because some of you swipe to your passage in your Bible. Maybe we need to get an app that makes the swishing sound when you swipe in your. Maybe not. The point is to receive the Word. How are you doing at that? Right now. I know that I have room to grow as a preacher. I just listed to you all the parts of the Bible I've preached, and I noticed that I have shied away from the prophets. Aside from Hosea and Jonah, and from dipping in here and there at times, I've not spent much time preaching the prophets to you. I need to work on that. One downside of that is that I've probably missed opportunities to preach on biblical justice. Justice is one of the major themes of the prophets, seeing people get what is due them and Doing what is right. I need to work on that in my preaching. What do you need to work on in your receiving? Are you merely listening and not doing what the Bible says? Is your heart the hard soil where the seed of the Word just bounces right out? The birds of the air come and snatch it and take it away? Or is your heart rich soil producing a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what is sown? Here's number two. Preach the Word. Equip the saints. Would you turn over to Ephesians chapter 4? That's on Pew Bible page number 1158. Ephesians chapter 4, Pew Bible 1158. Here Paul is talking about how we're supposed to live out the grace that God has given us. Skip down to verse 11. Paul says, It was He, he's talking about Christ, who gave some to be apostles Some to be prophets, and some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Here he says why. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now do you see the flow there? Do you see the picture? Jesus gives these people as gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor-teachers. The way the grammar there in the Greek, those two probably go together, pastor slash teacher. Probably one thing. And he gives them for what reason? What's the reason? To prepare God's people for works of service. The New American Standard Bible translates it for the equipping of the saints for the work Of service. To get the saints ready to serve. That's my job. Now when it says the saints there. It's talking about you. That's why the NIV translates it. God's people. It means the holy ones. The ones whom God has made holy. Through the blood of Christ. It's not talking about some exalted saints. In in church history. some, Some great super Christians. It's talking about you and me. Regular old Christians. Be it, having been made holy, and now God's people. So what? who is supposed to do the work of the ministry, according to this verse? God's people. Us, together. Not just me. I'm supposed to be like a kind of coach. Does, does James Franklin run out in the field and throw the passes? Do you know who James Franklin is? I had to look him up he, I guess he's the, the he's the coach of Penn State right he doesn't run out on the field and throw the passes right does he receive the passes as the coach no does he uh, does he give out the hits on the defensive line does he take the hits on the offensive line is that the right order am I saying it right where the who, who gets the hits and who takes them I don't know does does, does, does coach Franklin do that stuff no what does he do He gets the players ready to play the game, right? That's his job. He might call the plays, some of the plays at least. I'm sure he does some of the work, but he doesn't do all the work. Not even close. It's a partnership, right? What's your side? To be equipped and do the work of the ministry. Look at verse 12 again. Pastors are given, quote, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's when we're done. Okay, we can quit. We can sit down when that's over, when we've hit that goal. I can stop equipping at that point and you can stop serving what a day that will be. Look at verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. Christ is the head, not Pastor Matt. Jesus. From Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Who's that? That's you and me. We're we're ligaments. We're holding everything together. We're all tied to one another. Grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Do your part of the work. I get you ready and send you out on the field. You do your part of the work. Now this is an awesome church for that. We've been doing this together for 20 years. We have a wonderful church family for people volunteering and Doing their part. Some churches have an 80-20 rule. 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. But ours is probably flipped of that. Right? 80% of the work gets done by 80% of the people. This church has has a wonderful percentage of people doing their part. Last year, I preached the whole message on how good this church family is about everybody figuring out what your gifts are and using them in ministry. Now, we all have room for improvement. But we've been doing this together for 20 years. I know that I still take on too much for myself. Sometimes it's just easier to do it myself. And sometimes there doesn't seem to be someone ready yet to take something on. I know I need to grow in constantly giving away the ministry. I think I've gotten a lot better at it over the years. And I love seeing all the leaders that we've developed. That's one of the things I said 10 years ago that we need to work on. I had everybody on the on the leadership board stand, and I noted that I was the youngest guy on the leadership board. I've been here 10 years, and I was still the youngest guy on the leadership board. Well, now we've got younger elders on our leadership board. We've got younger folks on on every level of ministry in, in, in the church. That's awesome. How about you in particular? Are you doing your part of the work? Do you need to be equipped? That's what I'm here for to prepare God's people for works of service. Misty just talked about Family Bible Week. It's coming in just over a month. Misty needs people to serve. She just told us about what the needs are, where the blanks are to fill in. What are you going to do about it? Coach Mitchell is calling you to get into the game. Last one, and in many ways, the one that sums it all up, shepherd the flock. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5 which is on Pew Bible, page 1203. 1 Peter, chapter 5. I don't hear those pages turning. You're swiping, right? Okay. 1 Peter 5, Pew Bible 1203. Look at verse 1. Peter, talking as one of us, says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Peter tells elders like me, to shepherd God's flock. He makes it really clear there that it's that it's not my flock, right? It's God's flock. Some people say, Well, what about your church? And I gotta say what, well, it isn't my church. I mean, it's my church in the sense that it's the one I belong to, right? But you don't belong to me. Right? You belong to God. I'm just an under shepherd. I'm I'm a steward, I'm not an owner. It's God's flock, he says, under my care. What a responsibility. I have to do it, he says, with the right motives. Not just out of duty, and not in it for the money, not as a boss lording it over the people, but out of willingness and eagerness and as an example to the flock. I need to shepherd you. Now I think that this idea of shepherding includes the idea of leading, right? Shepherd going out in front and the sheep follow behind. You see that word overseer in verse 2. That points to directing and leading. The elders, especially the vocational elders, according to the Apostle Paul, are supposed to direct the affairs of the church, 1 Timothy 5.17. They do serve as leaders, managers. But it's more than just leading. It's it's shepherding. He uses that word on purpose. Because it's caring for the flock. It's feeding the flock. It's tending to the flock and especially their spiritual needs. This is the category that I put all of my people ministry into. When I'm giving a report to the elders of what I've done with my last month, I'm listing out the people that I've been interacting with and and caring for spiritually. Visiting folks at the hospital, in homes, at the nursing home. Phone calls, emails, text messages, meeting with someone in my office. Praying for you, praying with you, counseling, listening, discerning, challenging where needed. A shepherd is in the lives of his flock and trying gently but firmly to move them towards where they need to go. This is where our lives intersect. It's not just my job to get up on a Sunday morning to preach at you or even to push you into ministry. It's my job to walk alongside you. To know you. And to try to provide care for you. To comfort you when you're hurting. And to confront you when you're sinning. And again, I can't do all of that. We all need to do that for each other. And we have a whole team of elders to do it too. Peter says this to the elders together. Not just to one elder. But I am the vocational elder. And set aside to give my full time to this kind of shepherding. And I consider it a great privilege. Thank you for letting me into your lives. This week I sat beside a hospital bed of a herding sheep. I sat beside a bed in a nursing home of a lost sheep. I sat in my office in a counseling appointment with a sheep who was looking for some direction in solving a conflict. Heather and I did premarital coaching with Sheila Allen and her fiancé, Ben Hutchinson, who are getting married next month. By the way, I cannot believe that Sheila Allen is old enough to get married. She was like one year old in 1998 when we came here, and here she is getting married. It's my privilege to shepherd that couple to the altar. I know that I've made many mistakes in the shepherding arena over the last 20 years. I've hurt people's feelings. I've misinterpreted things. I've disappointed folks, I've given bad advice, I've said hurtful words, I've dropped the ball many times, I've forgotten people, they've just dropped off of my radar. Most of my regrets over the last two decades are missed opportunities to shepherd people well, especially when I didn't confront them with their sin when I should have. See, I like people to like me. But a shepherd should be more concerned for the well-being of the sheep than if the sheep is happy with them. I know I need to grow in that area. Thank you for forgiving me and being patient with me for two decades and for teaching me about shepherding and for shepherding me. Many of you have shown me how to pastor by shepherding others around me and by shepherding me. Blair Murray was one of my pastors. What's your job? If my job is to shepherd you, what's your job to me? It's to submit to shepherding. The book of Hebrews says in chapter 13, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. That's your side of it. To submit to shepherding. Not to slavishly do whatever the elders say. That would be ridiculous. But to listen to them, to consider what they have to say, to pray about it and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and then, where appropriate, follow. That's what a sheep does. It's my job, this letter says, to keep watch over you as someone who must give an account, you see, the great shepherd is going to come back. And I'm going to have to tell the great shepherd what I did with you sheep. What I did with his flock. That's a big responsibility, and I feel it. So pray for me. Not just submit to shepherding, but pray for the shepherd. Because I want to be found faithful. And I know you do. Thank you so much for praying for me. I don't know if I'll still be the pastor here in two more decades. I'm kind of trying to set myself up for it. For the long run. You give me two more decades, the Lord gives me two more decades. That's that's my plan. Unless the Lord changes it. Just keep on running. I was 25 two decades ago. I'll just be 65 in two more decades. I don't know if I'll be here though. Perhaps the Lord will return and demand that accounting. Or perhaps he'll move me on. Or perhaps he'll take me to himself before then. But I know that if I am here, I want to be found faithful. I want to have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. And verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, I want to receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And I believe that regardless of whether I go or remain, you will also receive a glorious reward. Because like Paul said to the church at Philippi, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Because he is the good shepherd of the sheep.